<laughs> Amen. Let's look in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 18, read down to verse 24. I'm going to share a message entitled, Meeting with God in the New Covenant. You know, we just had communion. Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament. Word testament there, it's a Greek word meaning covenant. And uh, God has signed a covenant with us, an agreement with us, that we can be saved because of the blood of Christ. And uh, we want to understand a little bit out of Hebrews uh, in the matter of meeting with God in the new covenant. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18 for ye are not come on the mount, the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto darkness, I'm sorry, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let's pray. Father, how much we love you tonight and appreciate the word of God. And Lord, we're thankful that we could read from it tonight and take some thoughts and some truths that are and in a very practical way be applied to our life. We thank you, Lord, for the ordinances given to the church of baptism. And I'm thankful for those that were obedient unto baptism uh, this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, communion, Lord. And we are able to gather around the Lord's table and observe that together, how precious it is to know that we have a Savior who is willing to die in our place and willing to shed his blood so that all of our sins can be washed clean and our, our lives can be atoned for. And so we're thankful for these great ordinances. I'm thankful for this chapter. It helps us to realize how precious it is to be able to come uh, before the Lord at Mount Calvary and not at Mount Sinai. And I pray, Lord, we might be able to glean some things that will help us in our walk with you. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that's not saved, I pray they would come and receive Christ as their Savior. Bless the preaching of the Word of God, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24 is our text verse. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You know, the book of Hebrews can be a challenging book to study. I've enjoyed, uh, over the years, I've taught through the book of Hebrews a couple of times, and it's always amazing if you study Leviticus and then study Hebrews, it, gets, it gives you a whole new uh, outlook or insight, if you will, into the book of Hebrews. Uh, but the book of Hebrews can be uh, somewhat easier to understand if we recognize the fact that Hebrew is written to Jewish believers. Uh, 
And so in light of what uh, things are being said in Hebrews are to help the Jewish believers associate with their background and then identify with Jesus Christ and to be able to know and be assured of the fact that they are saved. When uh, Paul was writing this chapter, I believe that when he spoke, that the Jew remembered uh, would be fresh on his mind the three mountains uh, that are in scriptures. And uh, first of all, I would think of verse 18. Uh, he tells us, For ye are not come to the mount that might be uh, touched and burned with fire, nor on the blackness and darkness and tempest. That certainly is the description of Mount Sinai, or literally, I'm sorry, Mount Moriah. And uh, as we read in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 in reference to the experience of Abraham offering up Isaac on the mountain uh, as God would command him. And as he would offer up Isaac on the mountain, uh, he literally would present for us a type of redeemer. And because he would remind his son Isaac that God would provide a lamb. And uh, God would so direct um, a Mo, um, Moses, I'm going to get to Moses in a minute. Now, uh, he would so direct Abraham uh, so as to take his son up on the mountain to offer him there to show uh, the promises of God are sure and that God would provide a means for man to be redeemed and it would be through the sacrifice that he would offer. And so Mount Moriah was precious in the sight and in the eyes and the memory of the Jewish people. But then there was also Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 20, we read of the children of Israel coming to the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses going up on the mountain. And that's where Moses would receive the law of God. And God, he would be on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and God would communicate to him his laws and his requirements for his people, Israel. And the problem was, as Moses receives the law, uh, man is under judgment. And the reason why they're under judgment, because the laws God gave them, man could not keep. And because man is sinful. Uh, over the years, you would read through the Old Testament, and you'd find Israel would say uh, to their God through Moses, that they, give us your laws and we'll keep him. And the reality is God gave them his laws and they didn't keep them. And so uh, Mount Sinai, as, as important Mount Moriah is to understand a redeemer that is offered, we grasp the reason why it was necessary for a redeemer to come because at Mount Sinai they received the law of God, uh, which they did not keep and could not keep. And because of that, it would place man under judgment. And then the other mount that would be precious in the eyes or in the memory of the Jew would be Mount Zion. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, you can read chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. We see that during that time in 2 Samuel, David overthrows the Jebusites. And as he overthrows the Jebusites, he took the stronghold of Zion, which was called the city of David. And uh, it was the city of David was a precious place for the Israelites because it was a place of eternal reward and blessing. And so we see these three mountaintop experiences, if you will, of where God reveals that he would supply the Redeemer for man 
because man is sinful and violates God's law, thus he's under the judgment of God. But God has a home, he has a place for man to be, be able to experience the eternal rewards and blessings of God in Mount Zion. And so certainly uh, well, the Israelite understood completely what Paul was writing about when he mentions these mountains uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. It's interesting that uh, he makes two contrasting statements uh, in this chapter. First of all, in verse 18, notice he says, For ye are not come unto the mountain that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor with blackness and darkness and tempest. He makes a statement that they have not come to that point. That would be Mount Sinai. And uh, it was a fearful thing for them to sit at the foot of Mount Sinai. And we're going to see in a moment, they would literally, if they touched the mountain, they'd be struck dead. And so he says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. But then he says, but, in verse 22, ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels. And so he draws a contrast here for the Israelite to understand what our life is in Christ, being saved and being born again and being forgiven. That's why our text in verse 24 says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. God made a covenant with the children of Israel. They broke that covenant, but we have a mediator of a new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And so he identifies them a contrast in relationship with them, with their God. Uh, one is standing in the fear of an all-powerful, almighty God. The other is standing in light of the forgiveness and the mercy and the redemption of Almighty God. And so meeting with God in the new covenant. We are able to meet with God and be assured of the fact that God loves us and that he cares for us and he forgives us because Jesus Christ died on the cross of Mount Calvary. And dying on Mount Calvary, he provided a way for man to be redeemed from all of his sins and to be able to have a special relationship with a living God. So let's think of this uh, tonight. Uh, three mountains here. The condemnation of Mount Sinai. Notice, first of all, that the condemnation of Mount Sinai was that it was temporal. And uh, it could not, uh, it can be touched and seen, I'm sorry, it can be touched and seen and tangible. And because of the mountain that was before them, uh, was something that was very uh, bold and very evident uh, that they could see. The problem is the things that are temporal, the things that are tangible in the world are not redeemable to mankind. And uh, it would, they were facing the condemnation of God as God would reveal his law. And so it was temporal. It was a terrifying experience. He says that it burned with fire uh, says, nor on the darkness, or I'm sorry, blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, uh, which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And so it was a terrifying experience at Mount Sinai because of the fact that it was a place where it burned with fire. 
And uh, burning with fire would speak of the judgment of God and would speak of the fact of death that man would have to face and experience. It's appointed on the man, but once to die, and after this is judgment. Uh, God warned in, uh, Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a fearful thing to stand in front of a just God and a holy God and man to be uh, uh, not justified because he has come to that which was temporary and that which was terrifying. So it was burned with fire. Uh, blackness and darkness, it speaks of being obscure. So in other words, the way is not clear. And uh, man lives his life in a darkness of this world. And as he lives in the darkness of this world, the way to God is not clear. It's not precise. It's not open. It's confusing. And people come up with their own means and own ways to try to approach the living God. And so Israel, uh, when they would stand at the foot of Mount Sinai, certainly understood the obscurity of what God was doing and saying for them. That's why after Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, the children of Israel would uh, persuade uh, Aaron to uh, build them an, uh, an idol that they can bow down to. I always love Aaron's uh, excuse for doing that when Moses comes down. Uh, they put the gold in the fire and uh, a calf came out of it. That's pretty good, you know. And uh, it's an amazing thing that what man will do when he can't see his way clear to God. And uh, he gets all uh, caught up in all the darkness and all the obscurity of what the world is. But not that, but it is also, it says here, was a tempest. A tempest is to see God's power, but not to see God himself. The sad thing is, is oftentimes uh, well, we want to talk about God, and we want to talk about the judgment of God, and we want to talk about the wrath of God. We want to talk about the mercy of God. Uh, we want to talk about the characters and experiences that people had in reference to God in the Bible, but we miss out on the reality of who God is. If we simply study the Bible and study characters that are in the Bible and not see God and understand who he is, we're living in a position of tempest. We're living in a position of, of, of obscurity because we're not comprehending who the Lord is. And so Mount Sinai was a place of condemnation because of the fact that people were aware of uh, and they witnessed the power of Almighty God, but they did not experience God himself. So it was a terrifying experience. But it was also a thundering. So it was temporal, terrifying, and thunderings in verse 19. Notice there was a sound of authority. It says in the sound of the trumpet. You know, God would give Moses instruction and tell the Israelites when they were getting ready to go to battle, they were to sound the trumpets. When they were to form their tribes together, they were to sound the trumpets. Whenever they heard the trumpet sounding, they identified with the, the authority of what is being told to them, what's required of it, them at that time. And so now uh, he's speaking here about Mount Sinai. It was they experienced the sounds of the trumpet and the voice of words. And so a uh, uh, sound of authority. There was a sound of separation. It says, which voice they heard and entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Uh, man is separated from God and God is separated from man. 
the sound of uh, the voice of God, the trumpeting out, if you will, of the words of God and coming to a point, it says here, where the words were not spoken anymore. They weren't revealed to them anymore. And it's because their sin had separated them from their God. And the only thing they could experience was the wrath and the judgment of God coming upon them. So the thunderings would speak of the sound of authority and sound of separation. But it would also speak of the sound of dying. Uh, because it tells us in verse 20, it says, For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned and thrust through with a dart. And so it was a place of dying. No life for man, a man who is condemned. And uh, someone who is condemned under the wrath of God, he has nothing to look to, forward to for eternity of life. And Mount Sinai reminded them that, wait a minute, their sin has brought them to a point of death as they would hear the thunderings on the mountain. It was the sound of fearing in verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. We often talk about Moses going into the presence of God and receiving God's law and getting the Ten Commandments and God meeting with him and talking to him face to face. And we, we often talk about that. But I'm going to tell you, that was a fearful thing. For him to go up on the Mount Sinai and to be alone with God who is thundering out his judgments, thundering out his word, uh, revealing to Moses the problems and the sinfulness of mankind, uh, it was not a, a thrilling experience. It was a fearful experience on Mount Sinai. So the Israel, under, Israelite understood that very clearly. So there's the condemnation of Mount Sinai. We see there's the commendation of Mount Zion. The commendation of Mount Zion in verse 22. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto a numeral company of angels. We see, first of all, that it's the city of the living God, so it's not temporal, but it's spiritual. Now, when they're at Mount Sinai, they're very aware of the fact that everything is revolving around the position of the mountain and God on the mountain, meeting with Moses and thundering out his commands to him. But wait a minute, that was temporal. But we're talking about the city of the living God is a place that is not temporal. It's a spiritual experience. And so uh, the commendation of Mount Zion is that I am going to be able to approach God in a totally different light from the reality of the Israelite trying to approach God at Mount Sinai. So it's not temporal, it's a spiritual experience. That's why Paul says, for the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Why? Because it's not spiritually discerned. And so the, the fleshly man, the worldly man, the carnal man can't understand and experience the spiritual things of God. But the spiritual man who walks in the spirit of God and understands who Christ is can experience an understanding of who God is and experiencing uh, the commendation of living in the city of God. So not temporal, but it's spiritual. It's not terrifying, but satisfying. Mount Zion. If you were the Israelite, as Paul's writing this, your mind would have to be going to, well, I certainly don't want to go to Mount Sinai. I think I'll stay over here in Mount Zion. 
And he tells them that, wait a minute, you haven't gone to Mount Sinai. That's not where you're going to meet with God. You're going to meet with God in Mount Zion. And so it's not a terrifying experience. It's a satisfying experience. Why? Because it's an eternal city. It says here in our verse that it would be a heavenly Jerusalem. And I've read that, I often think about that, the fact that uh, we see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and we think about the eternal city, where we're going to be able to dwell uh, within the presence of our God. Uh, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, and he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so I'm not looking to be on top of Mount Sinai. I'm looking to be on the top of Mount Zion in the New Jerusalem. It's the eternal dwelling place. Not only is it an eternal city, but it's an innumerable host. He says, uh, well, heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. Think of the angels in heaven. We read in the Old Testament about the angels around the throne of God in Isaiah chapter 6. We read about the angels coming and announcing to man uh, about the birth of Christ. We read of the angels speaking to John as he receives the revelation. And we read of all these experiences of the angels of heaven uh, that they rejoice over one sinner that uh, repenteth. And the glory of God is that when we get to heaven, we're going to be in the presence of a heavenly host. When the announcement came to the shepherds that Jesus was to be born, I mean, the heavens were filled with angels rejoicing in the announcement that the Messiah had come. And one of the glories of heaven is not just only being in an eternal dwelling place, but it's enjoying the heavenly host that will be around us. Not only that, but we see it's uh, the body of Christ. He says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. I was listening to a message by Dr. Tom Malone uh, the other day, and uh, he was preaching on the church, and what a blessing it was and uh, to hear him preach. And I mean, he was going to town on the church and how we need to be uh, protective of the church and how we need to be committed to our church and how we need to resolve that our local assembly, our church, is vitally important to us. And as he was preaching, I was shouting amen in my office, man. I was getting excited. I was couldn't wait till the invitation to come so I could get right with God. But... <laughs> The body of Christ. Do you understand when we talk about the church, we're talking about each other. And it ought to concern us when someone's not in church because the body is hurting when someone is not in church. The reality is when we get to heaven, we're all going to be one body. We're going to be filling the gates of heaven, if you will, as the general assembly, of the, as the body of Christ. And so the body of church of Christ. It's not terrifying, it's satisfying. Now some people say, oh, I just don't like church. Well, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have to learn a few things when you get to heaven because you're going to have to be around church people all the time. I, I, years ago, I've had people say to me, I just don't like being around church people. Now I feel like saying, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to have problems. What are you going to do, live out in a doghouse? I don't know where you're going to live. But you're going to have to be around people. You're going to have to be around Christians. You're going to have to be around the body of Christ. 
and the glory, a thing that's not a terrifying existence. It's not a terrifying experience. It's a satisfying experience. The presence of the body of Christ. Well, the presence of God in verse 23 says to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And we'll be in the presence of the eternal judge. I'm thankful that the judge of all the earth shall do right. I'm thankful we can trust everything that God says, everything that he does, every judgment, every decision he makes is a just decision. So the presence of God. And then I thought of the saints of God in verse 23. It says, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And I'm thankful when we get to heaven, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more judgment. There'll be no more sacrifice. There'll be no more problems. There'll be no more conflicts in our flesh. Uh, we'll be the saints complete in Christ in heaven. And so you, the Jew, Paul's trying to help them to understand, you have to compare both experiences. You can think of Mount uh, Sinai and see the condemnation that came upon us at Mount Sinai, or you can rejoice in the fact that we're not going to Mount Sinai, we're going to Mount Zion, where the blessings of God flow. And so the commendation of the Mount Zion. And then I see the covenant of Mount Calvary in verse 24. It says, and to Jesus. So he talked about where all the judgment is at Mount Sinai. He talked about the blessed experience of Mount Zion. And then he identifies the foundation or the basis of being able to experience that blessing. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So we see Jesus' purpose was that he was to be a mediator. A mediator is someone who goes between two parties. And it is Jesus Christ who intercedes for us at the throne of God. Uh, he is our advocate. He is our lawyer. He pleads our case. And uh, you think of just the whole thing with this impeachment trial and all this, that, and the other. Uh, there was lawyers that defended the President of the United States. Jesus Christ is our defender in heaven. He is our mediator. He is our lawyer. And he fights on our behalf. And so Jesus' purpose is to be a mediator. As a mediator, he offers up men's prayers to God and brings down God's favor to man. If we're able to offer our prayers unto the Lord, it is because of the fact that Jesus Christ is ever interceding for us at the throne of grace. If we are able to enjoy the blessings of God, it is because that Jesus Christ is bringing the blessings down from heaven to us. And I'm thankful that tonight that we have a God in heaven who is willing to open up the windows of heaven and shower out a blessing on us. I say, oh, even so, come Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm all for the blessings. Go ahead and open the windows of heaven. And I'm glad that we can experience the blessings of the Lord. We can do that because we have a mediator. I'm going to tell you, Moses couldn't bring the blessings down to, from God to the people at Mount Sinai. But I'm going to tell you, when they got to Mount Zion, they experienced what it was to have the blessings of God flow. 
And we as believers look to Calvary because of the fact on Mount Calvary is where Jesus established his purpose of ever interceding for us at the throne of grace. Not only does he offer up man's prayers to God and brings down God's favor to man, he pleads with God for us and then he pleads with us to God. And uh, so we have a, a Jesus Christ interceding for us. And uh, he, he argues our case before the throne and judge justice of God. And I'm thankful that he understands who I am better than I do. I'm thankful that he understands my needs greater than anybody else understands my needs. And I'm thankful that he is ever interceding on my behalf. As the mediator... He is uh, uh, interceding for us so that we have man beholding and enjoying God in Christ and God beholding and blessing man in Christ. So whatever we enjoy or experience from God, it is because of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of the new covenant. The contract has been signed in the blood that Jesus Christ shed. And because of that, I can behold God and I can enjoy God because of all that Jesus Christ is to me. And God can shower his blessings on me because it is Christ who is ever interceding for me. I, I think we lose a sense of the reality of how precious it is that everything that God is, we must find and experience and know in Christ. No man has seen God, but the only begotten hath declared him or revealed him. Everything I know about the Father in heaven is based on the fact of Jesus Christ interceding. He's showing me. He's telling me. He's experiencing in my life all that God is and opening the blessings of God to me. Everything's in Christ Jesus. As a mediator, he brings man to God, and he brings God to man. Uh, man could not approach God because he broke God's law. But Jesus Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He was in all points tempted, yet without sin. And because he was without sin, and he fulfilled the demands of a holy God's law, he is able to bring us to God, but he's also able to bring God to us. Jesus Christ, when he saves us, uh, his Holy Spirit, he said, I will not leave thee comfortless. He sends his Holy Spirit to abide with us forever. And as the Spirit of God is in us, the reality of deity is in, in every one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. We are not deity, but deity dwells in us of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, the amazing thing is Christ is our mediator, and so he brings us to God and brings God to us. So the purpose of Jesus as mediator. We see Jesus' process in verse 24. The process is the blood sprinkling. He says to a mediator of the new covenant, that's his purpose. And to the blood of sprinkling, that's his process of how he redeems us. You know, in back, all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, in uh, verse 10, 
my wife's old kid, always kidding with me. She said, uh, you're trying to preach the whole Bible in one sermon. You'll keep going all the way back to Genesis and coming come up. I was like, well, people need to know, amen? People don't know what the Old Testament says anymore, so we need to bring it up. Notice that Abel's blood was a cry for avenging judgment. And Jesus came, he came, his process was the sprinkling of the blood. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10, God speaking to Cain in reference to the slaying of Abel said this, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Oh, there was a sprinkling of blood, the shedding of blood, as far as Abel's uh, slaughter, when he died, his blood was shed. But the shedding and the sprinkling of Abel's blood was soaked up in the earth and cried out with a vengeful cry of judgment to come on the earth. However, Jesus Christ's blood sprinkling, Jesus' blood was a proclamation that judgment is satisfied. Because Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross and he shed his blood, he didn't cry out that his blood was calling for justice or for vengeance to be on man. When he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he had completed the redemption and the sprinkling of his blood, he cried out, It is finished! And he gave up the ghost. And so the process of the sprinkling of the blood is different from Abel and from Jesus. Abel's is crying for an avenging judgment. Jesus' blood is crying out and proclaiming that judgment is satisfied. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing this, that the process that God established through Christ enables man to meet with an almighty God based on the covenant that was signed in the blood of Christ, because his blood satisfied the righteous judgment of Almighty God. And because of that, now you and I can come into His presence. In verse 25 of Hebrews 12, it says, Seeing that ye refuse, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. I mean, it's a powerful few verses here in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Uh, he is simply saying this, you better listen to the cry from heaven. Uh, because the mounts that you have been at does not satisfy a holy God. It condemns man. But at Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ shed his blood and he's made a covenant with man through his blood that was shed. And because of that, you can have a relationship. You can meet with God through the new covenant, through the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful he said this is the blood of the New Testament. This is the blood of the new covenant. I'm thankful because of that that you and I can come into his presence and learn of who he is. You say, oh, I need to know who God is. Then you study who Christ is. You find out all that Christ is and everything that Christ is, the Father is. 
and you understand who the Father is in heaven and how he cares for you. Oftentimes people say, well, nobody cares for me. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus cares for you. You say, well, I just can't meet my needs. I'll tell you who can. God can meet your needs. Uh, you say, I'm just not very strong. I just feel weak. I'm going to tell you, you can still do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. And so the glory is that we can meet with God. I think that's the most vital thing that we need to, to focus on in our devotions, in our prayer times, in our church services, in all that we do as a Christian needs to revolve around the necessity and the need to meet with Almighty God does us no good to live our Christian life and not really come to know who our God is. Meeting with God in the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for many, many ways that you have revealed yourself to us. I'm thankful for Jesus. Uh, I'm thankful that he is the creator of all things that I see around me. I'm thankful that he came to this world to be a sacrifice for my sins. I'm thankful that he's the almighty God that sits on the throne of heaven. I'm thankful that he's coming to receive me in the glory. I'm thankful that every day, Lord, every day that you're interceding on my behalf and you're sending blessings my way. God, I pray that you would help us, help us uh, to have a thirst, have a hunger, have a longing to be able to chase after our God to knowing in a deeper way. Lord, thank you for this new covenant. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all of our sins and gives us new life. And so I pray that you bless us tonight as we sing this invitation song. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's